Welcome to the CMC Podcast, where our mission is to inspire you to be a doer of the Word. Today's message is brought to you by our Associate Pastor, Paul Kern. Well, turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and and as you're turning, I want to just kind of set it up a little bit. This is probably the best set of of verses in the Bible where uh, we get to see what love looks like in action. And we really get a look at this, and if, as you're finding it there, I want to share a couple of thoughts. One, I'm going to cover a wide range of topics this morning, um, so I want you to understand that this uh, message is not one of those uh, marriage seminar love messages, okay? Th- I'm going to cover a wide range of topics, so I'm not necessarily talking about romantic love. I'm just talking about love in general as we interact with each other on a day-by-day basis. So this could be romantic love, it could be friendships, it could be co-workers, it can be family. It can, this can be applied to anything in any situation. So if you're not currently uh, involved in a romantic relationship, then don't tune me out. This is just as much for you as it is for anybody else. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul gives us a love list. And and I love this revelation that Paul has about love that God gave him. And so this list shows us what love ought to look like. This is what love ought to look like. And so let's just read this together. Chapter 13, verse 1, love is, help me, patient. Y'all got to do better than that now. Listen, come on, come on. Where's my A team? Love is, there you go, that's better. That's better. Some of y'all need to stop by the coffee shop on the way out today. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices with truth. Love always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. Love never fails. And then Paul concluded this famous loveless teaching on the subject of love with what true love really looks like. And if you look at verse 11, just got to get down, down a few verses. He says, When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child, but when I became a man, I put away childhood ways. So, so let's apply this to many people's concept of love and let's kind of tweak this statement a little bit and add this in here because this verse is within the context of Paul's love list and what he's talking about here. So here's what he says. When I was a child, I talked about love like a child talks about love. I thought about love like a child thinks about love. When I fantasized about love, I fantasized like you would expect a child to fantasize. But when I grew up, come on, I put those childish ideas about love behind me. And so what Paul is saying is if if we carry these childlike understandings of love into our adult life as we move forward in our adult life, life, and we try to have that type of immature love, then our relationships are really going to struggle. They're really going to have difficulty. 
Because it requires a lot of maturity when it comes to loving people. Can I have an amen? Now, let's be careful. Don't be nudging anybody because, it, you know, there's some elbow moments in this sermon. I'm just letting you know right now. So Paul describes to us God's definition of love, not our definition of love. And I always like to qualify this because we don't get to, we don't get to give the definition of love. We recognize God's definition of love, and then we, we strive toward that standard, right, as a, as a believer. So Paul gives us this detailed concept of love, and basically, th this is just a detailed concept of what mutual submission to one another looks like. At work, at school, at church, in the home, because love is a verb. I'm going to say that again. Love is a verb. Paul breaks down the love list, and it's just a whole lot of verbs. And listen, there's a cause and effect in love. Because if you do a little bit of causing, you're going to experience a little bit of affecting, right? I mean, that, that's the way love works in our lives. So let me say it this way. When an individual chooses to put others before themselves, powerful things happen. But when an individual chooses to put themselves before others, destructive things happen. Now let's read this again. Everybody look with me. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. Love is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth. Love always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. Love never fails. So there's your become list. That's our become list right there. This is our goal. This is what we're all working toward. Now... <laughs> I don't know about you, but, you know, one of my temptations, and I think this is just, it, it's just part of being human, but it's obviously a, a character flaw in me, and I think you'll identify with what I'm talking about. When I tend to read Scripture, and it's like something that's really hard, or something that feels like it's beyond my ability, I tend to kind of skip over it. I agree with it. I think it's a great idea. But I try to go find scriptures that I'm pretty good at doing. Like, if you don't work, you don't eat. I'm pretty good at working. So, I, man, I, I can emphasize that verse. I can underline and highlight that particular verse. But, you know, when, when, you, when you look at these verses here in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, man, it's, it's challenging, is it not? I mean, when you, when you really read it and you really say, okay, let's do some self-application here, it's really, really challenging. So Paul doesn't give us this list so that we can skip over it really quick. And, he's, and I don't, certainly don't think Paul gave us this list to make us feel like he's superior to us. He gives us this list as a goal for all of us to pursue. He gives us this list as, okay, here is love. 
Here is what love looks like. Here is what you ought to be striving toward every single... Here's how you know when you are moving into mature love and out of childlike love, here is what it looks like. Now, here's what I want you to do. We're going to do a little exercise together. Those of you listening by the podcast or live stream, or if you're here live with us, here's, here's what I want you to do. I want you to look at that list again. Get, get your Bible out. Get your app out. I want you to look at that list again. And I want you to circle all the qualities that you are not looking for in people that you do life with every day. All the qualities that you're not looking for in people that you're in relationship with. You know, what qualities are you willing to give a pass to your girlfriend, to your boyfriend? What qualities are you willing to give a pass to your mate, to your friends, to your coworkers? The ones on your list that you'd be willing to tell them, those aren't really all that important to me. Okay, so I want you to, I want you to make a note of those particular qualities. You can even circle them or highlight them. And I'm going to sit here and wait for you while you do. Why are y'all looking at me? Oh, so you, you kind of had the same experience that I had, right? Because the fact of the matter is, I'm guessing you didn't remove very many items from the list. No, because as you read them, they're all what? Important. I mean, those are all things that we want other people to extend to us, right, when we're in relationship with them. So, now that you know what you're expecting of other people, maybe those are the things that you need to work on in yourself. And I think this is important for all of us. See, if we don't want our mate, if we don't want our children, our friends, our coworkers to be self-seeking, then maybe it's important that we're not selfish ourselves. You know, if, if we want those that are a part of our lives to always trust, then maybe we need to dig in and do the hard work of dealing with the trust issues that we have in our lives with other people in our lives. Or, or at minimum, let's not expect them to have any qualities or to walk in any qualities that we aren't willing to work on within ourselves. Can I have an amen? Y'all didn't know you were going to come to church and get your toes stepped on this morning. Wait, I thought this was a love message. Well, love suffers long. I got a few minutes to go. Go back to verse 1. Love is, help me. Oh, man. <laughs> that, number one, right out of the box. Love is... Patient. Man, love is patient. See, childish love says, I can have a conversation with, and you put whoever you want to go in between here, whoever it is, your husband, your wife, your child, your coworker, your friend, your brother, your sister, your uncle, your in-law, whatever. You put them there, and basically childish love says that I can have a conversation with this person about their impatience and maturity and patience is just going to magically happen and they're going to walk in the fullness of it at the end of the week. 
I mean, that would be nice, wouldn't it, if that happened, but it just doesn't, it doesn't work that way. Obviously, we all know better. You know, do impatient people suddenly become patient simply because we pray for them? Or simply because we have a conversation with them about their impatience? No, because all of these things are a process. And here's the, the good news about this message. You have a lifetime to work on them. An entire lifetime. As a matter of fact, tomorrow's Valentine's Day. It's the big love day. And guess what? Aren't you glad that you don't have to be perfected in every single one of these verbs that Paul listed here in this list? Because if that was the case, we would all be in trouble, right? No, it takes time. For example, you know, do people with trust issues find themselves with a natural inclination to trust just because they started a friendship with you? Just because they got into a relationship with you, all of the sudden, all of their trust issues are going to go away? Or better yet, do people with trust issues, just because they get saved and they get in a relationship with Jesus, do they just instantly get delivered of all of their trust issues? No. See, it's a process. It's a process. And the fact is, most people can exhibit trust. They can exhibit patience in the short term in order to persuade, in order to impress. But listen, when you live with people every day, when you work with people every day, I mean, I work with people here in the ministry and I'm, I'm probably around them more than I am my own family because we're here so much of the time. And so when you're doing life with people every day and you're around people every day, this is not something that you can do outside of a relationship with Jesus, abiding in him, cultivating your relationship in the Holy Spirit, and asking God to help you daily. Can I have an amen? So with that in mind, let's look at Paul's list. Now, I don't have time to go through the whole list. I mean, this would need to be a series and maybe we'll do that at some point in time. But I do have a few that I've picked that I felt like were applicable, really applicable for all of us here. These are ones that I felt like we all have to really work on. So obviously I can't skip the first one. Love is patient. Now, I've, I've heard it taught like this, okay? Put your name where love is. Put your name where love is, and that's your goal, okay? Because this love list is what we're all wanting to pursue. So, I, you know, and I was actually tempted to skip over this one because this is not one of my strong areas. As a matter of fact, I had a conversation with a few interns. Our Applied Life Leaders Academy is our college-age internship. For those of you that are new here and don't know a lot about it, we have dorms on campus, and we have uh, young people that, you know, they stay with us for nine months, and we just help equip them and get them ready for college and our career. And so we have several interns in our internship, and I was having a conversation with them, and, and I just said, you know, when my name comes to your mind, do you think of patience? And the majority of them were like, well, not, well, <laughs> you know. 
And, but I did have two or three of them say, but you can be kind, Paul. You're not the most patient person, but you can be kind. So if you want to know, if you want to know the truth, just ask the people closest to you about the list, right? So patience. Patience is a decision to move at someone else's pace rather than pressure them to match your pace. Oh, <laughs> this is so hard for me. See, see, patience is choosing to do less at the sake of keeping step with someone else. That's what patience looks like. So just applying this to myself, this has to do with my pace of conversation. This has to do with my pace of understanding. This has to do with my pace of other people making decisions. Because I'm a very decisive person. How many people we have in the room that are decisive? You're like, man, you ask me a question, I got an answer. But how many of those people are the ones that, you, you know, you got to think about it. A long, long, ugh, long time. And then even after you make the decision and you land on it, a week later, I don't even really know if that was a good decision. See, this, this is where we're at, see. So just applying this to myself, the pace of conversation, the pace of understanding, the pace of which a person makes the decision, the pace of getting ready to go out on a date with your mate. Come on, this is not a marriage seminar, but the pace of career advancement, the, the pace at which a person makes a decision for a life commitment to another person. See, patience is a decision. It's a decision for you to pause rather than push. Because the natural inclination is to what? Push. Impatience, though, impatience is different. Impatience isn't a decision. Impatience is an emotion. Hmm. It's a feeling. See, that's why you can love somebody, but be very impatient with them at the same time. I love them. I have feelings of love toward them, but I'm impatient toward them. See, our feelings of impatience can actually override and interfere with those feelings of love, can't they? We've all had it happen to us. We've had it happen in friendships and relationships and on the job and all kinds of different things. So here's the thing. Here's what, I, here's what I've discovered and here's what I want you to know. Patience isn't natural. It's not natural. Probably to most all of us in the room, everybody in this room is... There's probably no one in here that hasn't felt impatience toward a thing or a person or something in their life because it's just, it's, it's not natural. Your natural instinct is to assume, and, and I want you to hear this because I think this is very important. Your natural instinct is to assume your pace is the right pace and it is the pace by which all other paces should be judged. Right? And so you think they're indecisive and they think you're impatient. 
That's the way it works. So here's the thing, guys. The definition of love is patience. And love defers to someone else's pace. And if your personality type is like mine, then you got work to do. A lot of work to do. Because if you expect everyone else to move at your pace, to work at your pace, to catch on as quickly as you catch on, to make decisions as quickly as you make decisions, then you've got to understand if you're going to have a healthy, growing relationship, you're going to have to begin to really look at this verb in this list and work on it. Give yourself to it. See, just like everything else in Paul's list, patience is simply a way of putting other people before us. That's what it is. Patience is an expression of submission. That's what patience is. It's an expression of submission. I'm going to submit to you while I wait. While I wait. Let's move on. Go back to verse 1. Love is, what's number one? Number two, love is? No. I can't even get through the first two. I mean, seriously, I can't even do the first two. I'm just like, oh, man, I'm doomed. You know, when we first hear the word kindness, it kind of feels soft. You know, as a guy, just, it's not masculine. You know, it's kind of more like a cotton ball. You know, it's kind of frilly, kind of, I don't know, it's kind of cotton candy sound, kind of puffy. I, I, it just, it doesn't sound strong. It sounds weak. But, but here's the thing, it's not, it's not so. It really isn't so because kindness leverages our strength on the behalf of another. That's what kindness does. See, when we're kind, we put ourselves at someone else's disposal. That's what we do when we're, when we're kind. When we're kind, we put our strength, we put our abilities, we put our talents, we put our giftings on loan to somebody else who lacks them. Now, I don't know if y'all know this or not, but there's a, there's a member in our church, and I've known him for a very long time, and, and I'm not going to, you know, call his name out, but it's Jason Ross. I mean, I, mean, I wasn't going to call his name out, but Jason and I, we've worked together for a very long time. He's one of our worship pastors here, and he and I have just been friends forever and ever and ever, and Jason calls me when he needs something. And Jason has had me involved in some stuff. I'm tell, I, I mean, I've been involved digging out rats underneath his house that are not really classified as rats anymore. They're more maggots than they are rats. I mean, Jason's had me involved in some pretty sketchy things over the years. So, when Jason Marco Polo's me, I always kind of get a little lump right here in my throat. And he starts out, man, you're my best friend. I just love you and appreciate you. You're just so awesome. And I'm like, oh, no, here it comes. So I got one of these last week from Jason. He was, he, he, and it wasn't nearly as bad as what some of them have been. But he said, listen, I've got my wife here. 
I've got my three children here, and man, we're, we're, taking, we're taking cold baths. There's no hot water. There's none. And he says, I go underneath my house, and I look, and there's water leaking out of my water heater, and it's not working. And, you know, what, 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 do, what do I need to do? What, what do I need to do? Well, you, the, what that means is, come help me. That, that's the, you know, the terminology. And, you know, and so we talk a little bit, and it's like, okay, well, how much do water heaters actually cost? I said, well, man, you know, they, you, they can be kind of expensive. I mean, they're any, you know, probably base five to $700 and then up, you know, and then getting it installed, I mean, you're talking probably another two or 300 from a plumber, and he was just like, oh, no, you know, this is, because when you got three kids and they're all toddlers, they're all young, I mean, how many young parents know what I'm talking about? I remember those days. It's like, good grief. This is the last thing that I need. I don't need this bill. And so Jason and I talked. So anyway, it was determined, hey, I need a water heater. And so I, I grew up working with my hands a lot. I've replaced tons of water heaters and air conditioners and all kinds of things. That's just something I was just naturally gifted at and good at. Don't write my number down. Don't Marco Polo me. Don't call me, whoever you are. Say, I need one replaced right now. <clears throat> but so, so when Jason called me about this and, and we found out it was bad, you know, I thought, man, this is a perfect example for me to put in my sermon that I'm working on this week. So if I go help Jason, I can talk about how kind I am. And so I'm talking about how kind I am right now. So I go over to Jason's house, and we get the water heater installed, and man, his family's happy, his wife's happy, Jason's happy. Let's give the Lord a round of applause. Jason has hot water in his house. You don't want one of your worship pastors to be taking cold baths. That's not good. But see, here's the thing. When we're kind, we put ourselves at someone else's disposal. That's what love looks like changing a tire, assisting with homework, using your skills and abilities to help someone with a, with a project, with skills that they don't possess, opening the door, texting, calling, giving an encouraging word. See, kindness, it's a decision just like patience. Kindness is so powerful because it's a decision to do something for others in a moment that they can't do it for themselves. And that's powerful. I think kindness is love's response to weakness. That's what kindness is. It's love's response to weakness. Kindness in our relationships is vital because nothing kills relationships faster, especially romantic relationships. Nothing kills it faster than unkindness. And if you're anything like me, this is something I really really have to work on. And see, consistent doses of unkindness can kill relationship. I mean, it can just absolutely kill it. And we have to be very careful because we can turn on the charm here at church on Sunday mornings and we can be kind and we can exhibit patience and love to people when they walk through the door. But the question is, the question is, do you take it home? Do you exhibit it at work? Do you exhibit it in Walmart? Do you exhibit it when you're out eating? Do you exhibit it with your extended family? See, ask yourself this question. 
What is your natural response to weakness to people closest to you? What's your natural response to weakness to people closest to you? I mean, do you lean in? Do you loan them your strength? Or do you expect people to match your strength, your abilities, where you're at? You know, I think the real thing to keep close watch on in our hearts is how we respond to people that we perceive are weak. See, it's, 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 it's a real heart check here as we're talking about maturing love in our lives. Because we all want people to lean in and loan us their strength when we have a need, right? I mean, we all want that. But the question is, do we lean in and loan them strength when they have a need? I think it's important that we all give ourselves to sowing some kindness in our relationships. Let's work on being intentionally kind to the people that we do life with each day. You know, because the fact is, when we have disagreements, and we're going to have disagreements, but that's not an excuse to throw kindness out the window. That's not an excuse for us to disrespect. No, we're still called to be kind even when we don't agree. We're called to be kind to one another even when we don't see eye to eye, when we have problems, when we face difficulties, when there's conflict in relationship. We're still called to be kind. Ask yourself this question. When people hear your name, do they think kind? When people see you walk in a room, do they think that person's patient, that person's kind? See, if not, then you need to put a circle around that one on your list because that's one that you, near, you really need to give yourself to working on. And if you're anything like me, that's got a circle. That one there on my list has a circle. Let's move on. Next up. Love does not envy, love does not boast, and it is not proud. Now, these three get grouped together because they're all um, basically related as expressions of insecurity. They all come across as expressions of insecurity. See, when these surface in relationships, they're ugly, they're petty, they're destructive. And as a matter of fact, envy, boasting, and pride, they undermine the strength and the effectiveness of our relationships. They're very damaging. So when envy, boasting, and pride manifest themselves in a relationship, I mean, when they, when they reveal themselves in our relationships, they come across as sarcasm, criticism, and public disrespect. That's how they come across. But see, love celebrates other people's advances. Love celebrates other people's wins. Love celebrates when a teammate makes the basket. They make the winning play and you don't. Love celebrates when your classmate makes the A and you made the C+. See, love celebrates when your friend gets engaged and you're still not. Love celebrates when that person gets the promotion when that person gets the raise and you didn't. See, that's what love looks like. 
And we've all encountered those people who are envious of others. They always got to one-up someone. I mean, you know, I shot a five-point buck. Well, I got a 22-point buck. I mean, you know, if you live around here in the country, you hear stuff like that. Or they struggle to find anything good or positive at all to say about somebody else. Because their envy keeps them from being able to celebrate that person. And see, we all need to pay attention to our internal reaction to the success or advancements or blessings of people in our lives. Man, I got friends, they tell me, man, I got this, I got that new thing, I got this new gadget, I got that new thing. And, you know, and, and obviously as a human being, the natural first thought is envy. That's the natural first thought. You know, ask yourself this. When, when somebody gets a win, when somebody gets an advancement, when something good happens in somebody's life, do you celebrate or do you denigrate? What is your response like? And if this is an issue for you, then let me encourage you how to deal with it because I, I, I like giving practical examples on how to deal with this kind of stuff. You just ignore your initial impulse to criticize that person or to criticize that place, or the temptation to be in the spotlight, and instead, you celebrate them. But here's the thing that you don't do. You don't remain neutral. You don't remain neutral. In other words, young people, if you're here, and you're within a group of friends, and somebody says, I got a new car, or I got this, or I got a job, or I'm in a relationship, or something good happened... There'll be people that'll be there that are, that are not insecure that will say, awesome, that's great, I'm so happy for you. But then there will be those people who stay quiet. And see, that's like the, that's like the warning light coming on in the dashboard of your car. Check your engine. Check your heart. But see, you don't stay neutral, you initiate. You, you intentionally celebrate other people's advances. So if you're scrolling through social media and you see somebody post something good that happened to them, like it, heart it, respond, encourage them. Great news, so happy for you. But see, insecure people can't celebrate because their insecurity compels them to downplay other people. They just can't. But see, listen. Love doesn't highlight your real. Love highlights other people's real. Love, love puts the 100 on their real, the fire on their real, the heart on their real, not on our real. That's what love looks like. Let's fast forward. Let's go to record keepers. Hmm, this is a good one. I think this is something that we all struggle with. The Bible says love keeps no record of wrongs. Now listen, it's no fun being around record keepers when you get in a disagreement. It's, just, it's simply not fun because record keepers are those people that every time that there's a disagreement, they open up their mental file cabinet and they start reading all these transcripts off of all the past mistakes that you've made in your life. That, that's a record keeper. And here's the funny thing about record keepers. I mean, this is just interesting. They keep track of everybody else's mistakes, but if you were to go look in their filing cabinet, you wouldn't find a whole lot about their mistakes. Oh, they got a filing cabinet full of stuff that other people have done to them. But when it comes to what they've done to other people, 
you're going to have a hard time finding a whole lot in the file. And if you grew up with a record keeper parent, or record keeping parents, you're aware of the negative dynamics that that played in your relationship with your parents. You see how that affected. I mean, there's people in here today, they don't even have a relationship with their parents because their parents are record keepers. And they can't have a relationship with them because it's almost impossible to have relationship with them. But here's the thing that you may not be aware of and you need to be aware of, you're prone to follow suit. See, if you grew up with record-keeping parents, there's this thing called the generational curse. And if you judge them because they're record keepers, the Bible says the same measure that you judge, you will be judged. That's the whole concept of generational curses. And see, we don't understand what breaks generational curses. Record keeping doesn't break generational curses. What breaks generational curses is forgiveness. Love. See, love absorbs the push. I'm going to say that again. Love doesn't push back. Love doesn't keep a record. Love absorbs the push. Love doesn't talk about it Monday morning at the office around the water cooler or the copy machine. Love doesn't go over it on Monday night. Love doesn't remind on Tuesday morning. And here's the challenge with record keepers. They're right. That's the challenge. If you're a record keeper in here today, I want you to know you're right. Your mate, your friends, that business partner, that coworker, they actually did all the things that the record keeper remembers in vivid detail and can recount to you. They actually did it all. The problem with record keepers isn't their accuracy. The problem is the, is the damage that the record keeper does to relationships by keeping record of the wrongs. See, that's the problem. Nothing about rehearsing the past does anything to advance the future of a relationship. Think about it. Nothing. It does nothing to promote healthy relationships. And the fact is, the fact is, we all know what we did wrong. We don't need to be reminded of it. I already know I blew it. I already know I acted that way. I already know I messed up. I already feel condemned about it already. I don't need to be reminded. And, and, I, and I'm not saying that there aren't areas that people don't need to change. Obviously, we all need to grow. We all need to, be, we all need to change. That's what sanctification is. Sanctification is a lifelong process of, of, the, of us working on and coming to an, an agreement with the inner work of perfection that God did with us in our hearts and bringing that to a place of manifestation on the outer side of us. That's what sanctification looks like, and that's a process that takes years and years and years. And the fact is, some of you need to make some serious changes in here. Some of you need to go see a therapist. Some of you need to go see a counselor. I'm serious. Don't get mad. You gotta love me. It's a message on love. Hey, I spent lots of time at a therapist when I first got saved. 
a counselor, many sessions helping me work out hurts and, and disappointments and, and my, my own imperfect, immature, childish understandings of what love looked like. I had to be trained and taught and my mind had to be renewed because my, my heart can't accept what my mind doesn't understand. So for me, I had to be taught, I had to be trained, my mind had to be renewed with the washing of the water of the word. But see, filing and being a record keeper doesn't foster healthy relationships. Let me tell you what fosters healthy relationships. Forgiving and pretending, that's the best option. Forgiving and pretending to forget, that's the best option. That's always going to be the best option when it comes to relationships. Do love doesn't keep dousing the present with the past. Not if you want to move forward, not if you want to have a relationship that is full. The path to influence is by acceptance, not by truth. That's not how it works. See, if you're a record keeper, you've got to understand something. You can be exactly right and exactly alone. Because you can truth the life right out of a relationship. Oh, what you're saying is true. I'm not saying it's not true. But what I'm saying is you can be true and alone. Because you'll life, you'll just truth the life right out of everything. Nobody wants to be reminded of their failures. You don't want to be reminded of your failures. And guess what? Neither do the people that you do life with. You know, the fact is gaps get created every day. In our relationships with people, gaps get created. They were supposed to meet you at 9 o'clock, and they didn't show. They told you that they were going to do this job, and this is what they were going to charge you, and then you got the bill, and it was way more than what they said. They promised you that they would never do such and such again, and they didn't. See, everyday gaps get created in relationships. But here's the thing. You get to choose what goes in the gap. And only two things, there's only two options of what goes in the gap. Trust or suspicion. Now, if we're walking in childish love, immature love, and somebody shows up late to a meeting that we were supposed to have with them, the gap and what's going to go in it is, they don't value my time. They don't respect me. They don't consider this to be very important. They're irresponsible. They're lazy. But see, if, if we're walking in love, then what's going to go in the gap is trust. Man, I'm sure something must have happened. They had a flat tire. Something's going on with their kids. They got caught in traffic. And they are working on Highway 7 a lot right now. So there's a good possibility that, you know, just unexpectedly, something took place. Are you hearing me? See, you're either, you're either going to believe the best or expect the worst. But love believes the best. See, that's what it says here. When there's a gap... 
Love does everything possible. Listen to me. And this is important, church, because we've got to apply this with our relationships here at our church, with leadership, in our relationships with each other in our school, in our relationship with our bosses and our family members at work. What I'm about to say is very, very important. When there is a gap, love does everything possible to protect the integrity of the relationship rather than undermine it and gossip about it. I mean, it, it's amazing to me, and I've seen this happen. I'll just, I'll just use our lead pastor example. He's not here. I can pick on him. I've known our lead pastor for a very long time. I've worked with him for over 30 years. And, and I'll tell you right now, Tim's not a perfect man, but he's a darn good one. One of the best bosses I've ever worked for, and I've worked for a few. And I'm really, really grateful. And we have a pastor... Who, who, who really does strive to be an integrous person. And he really works hard to live out what he preaches. And he set that example for me, and I've tried to follow that same example that he set. But it's just, it, it, it's amazing when leadership makes a mistake. When they look human. You know, in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all show a different aspect of Jesus. Matthew shows him as a king. Mark shows him as a servant. John shows him as the son of God. But Luke, Luke shows him as the son of man. And man, we can all see our leadership in that kingly place. We can all see our leadership in that servant place. We can all see our leadership in that godly place. But we have a really hard time with accepting leadership to just be normal, ordinary people just like us. But see, when we're walking in love, in leadership, a question arises. Our first response isn't to attack or what are they doing or be suspicious. What's going on? What's the cover-up? No. Our first response is, well, I'm sure there's a reason for this because I know Tim. I know his character. I've been around him his whole life. I'm sure there's a reason for it. If I were in town during a weekday and someone were to call my wife up, who I've been married to coming up 30 years in August, Never had an affair on my wife, not one time. Never been with another woman the whole time I've ever been with my wife. I've been faithfully committed to my wife for almost 30 years. And if I was in town and somebody called my wife up and they said, Angela, I saw your husband Paul in town with another woman. Or if somebody called me and told me, Paul, I saw your wife in town with another man. Do you know my first response wouldn't be, who was it? My first response would be, not my wife. You got her confused with somebody else because my wife loves me. My wife has proven for 30 years her faithfulness to me. So my first response isn't going to be, what's going on down there? What's happening over there? What are they up to? No, my first response is love. Come on, church, are you hearing me today? It's so important. Yeah, let's give God a hand clap. I think it's a good. 
Let me end my time with this. By repeating our love list. Go back to 1 Corinthians and let's look at it one more time. Everybody, come on. Get your Bible out. It's not going to kill you. <laughs> Open up that app. It's an assignment. Come on. Everybody in here. Love, love is mutual submission. There you go. Patience. I'm waiting. Everybody get it out. All right, here we go. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. See, love is unnatural. None of these traits come natural to any of us. So Paul is giving this successful recipe for maintaining relationships with each other in life. See, in friendships, in marriage, in raising our children, in, in dealing with difficult people, if you want to be effective, if you want to be powerful, if you want to be influential, then here's what I want you to know and here's what I want you to understand. That is going to be sustained by you being patient, kind, humble, and keeping a short memory. That's how it's going to happen. And like I said, none of these come naturally, but every one of them are absolute necessity. Absolute necessity. Otherwise, our wounds, our insecurities, our frustrations, our parental upbringing... It's going to short-circuit our relationships, and it's going to cause us problems. And wounds and insecurities and frustrations and parental upbringing, when they're the driving force in our life, when that happens, you'll be looking for another friend, another church, another job, or even another family to be a part of. See, we're all tempted to think that thought. Those feelings cause us to think the thought, that's the wrong friend, that's the wrong church, that's the wrong place, that's the wrong boss, that's the wrong job. They're going to automatically produce those thoughts. And it's that kind of thinking that creates the big myth, the big lie. And the myth is, is that once you find the right friend, once you find the right mate, once you find the right church, once you find the right job, you will be happy and content and not frustrated and everything will be great. But in my experiences, or let me say my evaluated experiences, they've all taught me that there's only one person that can make me happy, and it's me. There's only one person that can make me not be impatient or unkind or not be a record, that's me. Now, I began my time with uh, ending with verse 11, which was Paul's conclusion to love, and, and I want to end with it. It says, when I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child, but when I became mature, I put childish ways behind me. And I want to encourage our church, let's, let's leave here making it our ambition 
to leave childish ways of loving one another behind us. And let's make it our ambition of pursuing mature love, the God kind of love. Now, here's the thing. When I read this list, I'm going to be honest with you, I get really convicted because I'm not really any of those things, at least not very good and certainly not consistently. I want to be, and I strive to be, but at this point in my life, at 56 years old, I haven't quite arrived yet. But here's the encouragement that I want to offer you. You know that love list and all those verbs that are in that list? That's what God's love looks like toward you. Because we can be really impatient with ourselves. We can, we can really be record keepers of our own mistakes. Oh yeah, we're great at making a monument out of a moment of failure in our life and we'll never forgive ourselves and we punish ourselves for the rest of our life for a mistake that we made. There's people in here, you've punished yourself for the mistake that you made when you were 15 years old and now you're 30-something. But see, God's love isn't like that. It's patient, and it's kind, and it's forgiving, and it suffers long. And guess what? It'll never, ever, ever fail you. And here's why. Because God is love. And that love is your Father in heaven. And he loves you. And he loves you with all of the imperfections that you have in your life right now. As a matter of fact, he picked you, you didn't pick him. And he picked you, when he picked you, you were way more childish than you are now. Man, I look back when God picked me and I think, God, I never would have picked me. I don't even know why you picked me. You talk about rough. But I remember Michelangelo, this guy walked by him one day and he says, hey, what are you doing chipping away at that big old stone? Big old ugly rock. What are you doing chipping away at that thing? And here's what he said. He says, I see an angel in this stone. And I'm going to set it free. And that's what God does with us. Our husbands and our wives. The chisel. God's the hammer. And if we'll allow him, he will make us into the image of his son. So this week, Here's my challenge. Read 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Meditate on it. Pray and ask God to help you. Ask him to give you the grace that you need to strive 
to be transformed and be conformed into the image of his son. Because if you want to know what Jesus looks like, all you got to do is read that list. And guys, listen, that's our become list. That's our goal. He says, you can do all these great things in life. If you read just a few verses, you can do all these great things. You can prophesy, you can heal, man, you can give your body up for a, a friend, you can die for somebody, but if you don't have love, you've missed it. We got to have love in our church with each other. We got to have love in our school with each other. We got to have love in our marriages with each other. We've got to have love in our daily lives with people that we work with. Love is the most important thing. Three things will remain when it's all said and done. Only three. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Amen? Stand with me this morning. Let's give God a hand clap. Here, let's pray together. Father God, we thank you today. We're grateful, Lord. We're so grateful, God, for your grace and your mercy and your patience with us. Lord, help us to extend that to other people. God, we thank you for Valentine's Day, and we thank you for your great love. Love that you gave us that was undeserved, but because you love us, and you wanted us to experience the love that you have in the Trinity. You were willing to share. And God, we're so grateful that we get an opportunity to partake in that incredible love that you are. Go before us this week in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. God bless you. Happy Valentine's Day. Thank you for listening to the CMC podcast. If you'd like to watch our sermons live or looking for more information about our church, visit cmcchurch.com or follow us on Facebook at Christian Ministries Church.